Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Maximize Your Influence. Here we are in December, it's freezing cold. Kurt, are you frozen to death or are you still on the other line? I am here, I am cold, but do like the snow and do want to point out that I will be in San Diego doing a seminar thawing and being a little closer to where I grew up in the nice sunshine of California. It was actually pretty cold in California over the last couple of days, well, relatively speaking. Yeah, but take 60 degrees over negative two uh, any day. <laughs> yes, that that is a difference that counts. I was in San Francisco last week, and just to show you how relative temperature is, it was a cold front. The high of the day was like 51 degrees, and the temperatures at night were getting below freezing. And I was watching the local news in San Francisco, and it was Armageddon as far as they were concerned. <laughs> they were just... Everybody was bundled up in their coats, and I'm thinking, hey, this is kind of nice, kind of balmy. Well, I see that too. I have a sister-in-law in Hawaii. When it starts dipping down to 50, 55 degrees, they get out their ski parkas, and oh, wow. So I guess it depends where you live. And, and then San Francisco is a whole other thing. Every time I go there, I'm cold. I think, oh, I'm going to California. No, no, wind, rain, cold, always cold in San Francisco. It's rare that it's as warm and nice as the southern part of that state. Yeah, it's true. It's Although I would uh, kill for some San Francisco weather now, with our high being 12 degrees or something. I'd, we're not the only ones. I think much of the country is going most through of the, it. Yeah, most of the country's there, too. Although you could probably uh, get to San Francisco for some of their uh, good eating there um, down near the pier. I did get some good eats while I was out there. It was, you know, like I said, it was cold, though. I watched that game, the Philadelphia Eagles versus the Detroit Lions, 10 inches of snow on the field. You couldn't even see the, the yard, the, the markers. It was crazy. That is some serious snow. Yeah, they got hit hard on the East Coast. I guess everyone got hit hard in their own little way across the country as it sweeps across. That's right, everybody. You're having as bad of weather as we are, but we're on the podcast, so you have to listen to us complain. And if you want to complain back to us about how cold your weather is, you know the email address, MaximizeYourInfluence at gmail.com. And like I remind you excessively every single episode, we're on iTunes, we're on BlackBerry, we're on Stitcher, or just go to MaximizeYourInfluence.com and you can listen to us directly there on the website. So, Kurt, you have an article to talk about that it took me a little while to wrap my brain around it, my feeble brain. I think it's there now. It's there, you grasp it, you get in the feel. Yeah. It's one of those things that takes, it's kind of counterintuitive a little bit, and, and if you listen to the podcast or read our materials, it's it's clear that mood matters in persuasion. When people are in a good mood, they recall good things or easy to persuade. People in a bad mood, they recall negative things. We've talked about that just in a quick nutshell. And this article talked about how repeated exposure to negative events may prevent bad mood, which is like, wait a minute, bad events should increase bad mood. So what the experts always know, and we all know this, that bad moods not only make it more difficult for you to influence somebody, but it also slows reaction time, affects your basic cognitive abilities like thinking, speech writing, and 
and counting. So negative, foul, pessimistic, depressive type moods actually hurt you mentally and cognitively in a lot of ways. So this is new research out of Tel Aviv University, School of Psychological Science, and it was published in Attention, Perception, and Psychophysics of all places. So you don't have to go there. I'll just tell you what it means. (laughs) But basically... Let's say you glance at the newspaper and you see something negative about terrorism or the economy. That'll put you in a bad mood and that'll affect you for the rest of the day in every aspect of your life. But then they said if you looked at the newspaper and you read the article and you processed it, you thought it through, even though you were exposed to that negative information, you were freer to go on with your day in a better mood without those negative side effects than if you just glanced at maybe a couple of headlines of negative things versus really sitting down and processing it. Because a lot of times we see a headline or something negative. We are automatically knee-jerk reaction, the worst case scenario, the worst thing ever. We don't process it. It puts us in a foul mood versus really going through it, thinking it through, processing it, reading it. Then it doesn't put people in that foul, negative mood versus just glancing at it. Isn't the media in the business of just getting our attention? Oh, yeah. They'll do anything to get you to sit through commercials, to come back, to sit through the whole newscast about how something's going to kill you or somebody's after you or another murderer got loose or the economy is going to turn. All these things just to grab your attention and that puts you in a foul mood, but it also keeps your attention like we talked about before as the Zagarnik effect. Yeah, right. And they want to grab you. As you read the story, though, you're finding out, okay, this isn't really that big of a deal. I think it gives your more advanced brain instead of that side driven by the amygdala, the animal brain, that is fearful. It gives your advanced brain a chance to digest the situation and understand it. You know, fear of the unknown. Your water could be killing you, or there are multiple cougars loose in this neighborhood, or whatever ridiculousness the evening news has on there, or written news, blogs, whatever it may be. They want you to read. And as you do that, you're going to find, okay, this really isn't that big of a deal. There's a website called newser.com. It's actually pretty good. They go and they syndicate all of the major news stories for the day, And they just sum it up in two paragraphs, each story. So you can wake up and know what's going on. Well, that's debatable. But you can know the major news and what's happening there within two or three minutes. They really love the splashy headlines, though. They're going to really try to grab you. And I notice I read those paragraphs. I'm like, okay, that wasn't really that big of a deal. And it kind of goes back to what you're saying is if we can understand it, we're not going to be dwelling on that negative as much, even though in theory we're more exposed to it. That's my my feeble brain's attempt at understanding anyway. And that's the key. Bottom line is, first of all, you shouldn't be looking at the news. It's going to suck the life and energy out of you. But if you do, don't just look at the headlines. Read the whole thing so you can put it in perspective and not get in a foul negative mood. There you have it. Don't read the news, people. It's bad for you. It'll it suck the life out of you, put you in a negative, pessimistic mood, and you'll think everyone's out to get you. That's right. But if you do want to have any idea what's going on in the world, then, then read all of the news. <laughs> or, or let your friends tell you what's going on. Yeah, right. Spend some time or none at all. Well, good. We want to get into what we were talking about last week, if that's okay. This awkward segue brought to you by the remaining three C's of trust. <laughs> so last week we talked about character and competence and this whole trust thing revolving around the fact that look you're listening to this podcast you probably think that you're a trustworthy person i have yet to meet a person in life that will openly just say no i'm not trustworthy at all i'm horrible i think there are some people that may say that about themselves but 
most of our listeners would tend to think that they have they have good intentions and they want to do right by people. But just because you think that about yourself doesn't mean other people perceive it. So the whole concept of the five C's of trust is to help people along so that they can see that you are trustworthy much faster. And that's the whole concept of persuasion and what we're trying to achieve here is help you get more results a lot faster. So last week, Kurt was kind enough to tell us about character and competence. And we've got to round out the remaining three C's here. What are they, Kurt? What do we need to know? Well, you said it. Faster is better. And the more of these C's you have, the quicker it is to influence somebody. So we talked about two of the C's. So the third C is confidence. That's your assurance, your belief, your conviction. And confidence is really important because you're the expert. Like we talked about with competence, you need to act like the expert, but you need to come across as confident. The challenges with this one, because a lot of people think, well, I'm confident. Well, are you? Maybe you are, but are you coming across that way? Because as we interview and we talk to people, the persuader thinks, yep, confident, but you probably know this one, Steve. The prospect is thinking what? Desperate, cocky, I don't know, one of those. Yeah, cocky, arrogant. And we all agree there's a fine line between being confident and being arrogant. And that's important. Because we talk to the prospect after the persuasion attempt, they might say, well, they acted like they owned the place, treated me like a child, did not listen, didn't own up to the mistakes, never answered my question, always had to be right. We crossed that line. And when you cross that line, there's no trust, there's no influence. And so you have to be very careful on how you come across. And where a lot of persuaders make the mistake is they interrupt. And it comes down to this. We hear the same objections over and over again. And persuaders think it's great time management to cut them off in the middle of their objection, in the middle of their question, because they have the right answer, because they've heard it a hundred times. But when they cut them off, they cross that line from confidence to arrogance. It's the first time they voice that objection. You have to hear it through. You have to pause. You have to listen at the right times. Otherwise, you cross that line. And when you do that, trust goes out the window. It's such a simple thing, but that's a big one for persuaders. They really don't know they've crossed that line. You want to be confident, but you never want to cross that line to arrogance. And, and you have to realize that confidence is about you serving them, helping them that you have the answers. And arrogance is it's all about you and what you can do and how you're going to show them the right way and show them what they have to do without truly listening and understanding their concerns. I think it's kind of ironic, something that I've found that is really critical towards building trust. You've alluded to this a number of times, is the fact that when you can admit that your product has strengths and weaknesses, and you can just confidently say that, I think on the whole, you come across as a lot more confident because you're okay to admit it. Whereas the guy who's just, oh, I'm awesome, I'm great, I'm this, cuts people off. Like you said, he crosses the line from confidence into arrogance. And that's a huge piece people need to understand to where they want that confidence, but if you come across as arrogant or braggadocious, if we can use that word, it really hurts. And that's the interesting thing about you know persuasion in general. If I'm speaking and I list the laundry list of all my accomplishments, all of a sudden I'm arrogant. <laughs> Yeah, But if I write up an intro and someone else reads it, now it's okay. Now, logically, that makes no sense, but if, if to your audience, it makes a huge difference. Uh, you can't say it, but somebody else can. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool, cool. Well, I've noticed, too, a couple of episodes back, we talked about scarcity and the concept of allure and how when you're a little bit less available and when you're seen as sought after, 
that makes you more alluring. And hence, you would, I think a positive side effect is you would be perceived as more confident. But if you're trying too hard at the allure and you're trying too hard to correct it, I think that's another symptom of confidence or just trying too hard in general and even desperation. So if you can create authentic allure and you are in control of that and people are pursuing you, this confidence thing, it really goes up very high in a good way. And that's exactly right. If you're trying so hard to drop hints about who you know and the school you went to and all your accomplishments and why they should like you and why they should trust you, it has the opposite effect. But over time, when you have that allure, that credibility, that confidence is there and people have earned it and they don't need to spend time trying to let people know they have it. Right. And we we were talking about how I, I said on the podcast that I never give people the first appointment that they request. And people have wondered before, is that going too far? And it doesn't seem to me that it is because business is going well and I'm not detecting irritation. It's not hurting. And on a couple of episodes ago, though, I think it was last week, the blunder where I told you about my wife's doctor who Googled the (laughs) the information. Well, that's we've been having a hard time with this guy. He's not our favorite. And it's so stinking hard to get an appointment. And whether that's actually the case or whether they're purposely moving people into certain times, for us, it's gone beyond the point of, ooh, wow, sought after, this is great, to just annoying. Like, at some point, you're feeling like, okay, do you want my business or not, right? And I think that that's, my mom was talking to her today, she was on hold with the IRS, you know, for two hours, right? <laughs> it's mm-hmm. It creates that bureaucratic, like, okay, do you even care that I'm here perception that we have to be careful to avoid, too. It's that humble pie we always eat when you walk to the DMV and realize, you know, you're nothing. You get in that line and don't say a thing. You're like, okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Same yeah. type of thing to where they have that opposite, more of a, they use that power structure effect to help you, put you in your place. You could have a suitcase full of $100 bills and it would not matter squat. The only thing you could do with it is bribe the people in front of you in the line to get out of the way. <laughs> that probably would work. <laughs> I guess. I guess. So we're not writing off the suitcase full of money at the DMV just yet. You might want to try that, everybody. Cutting edge persuasion techniques for you here on the show. So we've got the fourth C of trust coming up. What's that one? The fourth C is credibility. That's kind of your history together, your experience, what other people are saying about you. Have you been truthful in the past? And we like to think we're credible people, but just like trust, just because you are credible doesn't mean you come across as credible. I mean, if you have prospects that are calling to complain, that aren't giving you repeat business, that always need references, not returning your phone calls, canceling appointments, there's probably some credibility issues. And it could be your appearance, it could be your qualifications, it could be referrals, introductions. It's very important to understand with credibility. The main thing I want you to understand here is that it's okay to borrow credibility. If you want to use testimonials or referrals or introductions, you're borrowing credibility. I'm in the book business. I make sure... I put people on the back of that book that if they don't know who I am, they're like, hey, hey, and borrowing credibility from people that they know and trust, that transfers to me. Yeah. Tony Robbins, I think he's been really effective at that because he had a phrase that he would use a lot. He would get up there and I've done this and I've had all these results and look at how great I am. He'd do that and he'd take it just to the point where the audience – was going to be annoyed, and then he'd say, you'll recognize the phrase, Kurt, 
He says, I'm not telling you this to impress you, but to impress upon you that what we're going to talk about today, it, then he'd go into his spiel and it would be like, look, I'm not trying to brag. I'm trying to tell you that this is good information because this is the track record that it has. And it was such an effective way at lowering the guard, not going overboard on credibility and having that arrogance problem that we were talking about earlier. Yeah, he got to the point where he's pushing the envelope that he discounted himself a little bit. And, and that tends to work. But again, look around. Who can you borrow that credibility from? Now, again, the, back to the books. That's why I put Stephen Covey or Brian Tracy or Mark Victor Hansen, because if they like those people, then that transfers credibility to me. So first of all, referrals, testimonials, introductions, borrow credibility. The second thing is with cutting-edge research, and we talked about this a little bit, is that when you can reveal a weakness about your product or your service, it actually increases trust and credibility, which is also a little counterintuitive. We see it all the time. You have to realize that your prospect is looking at you, your product or service, and they want to find something that's wrong. Because if you come across as too good to be true, you're too good to be true, even though it is true. So it's important to realize that if they're looking for a weakness, give them a minor weakness and turn it into a strength and they trust you more. We see it all the time in advertising. Avis Renicar, we're number two. Weakness, but we try harder. Listerine, well, the taste you hate twice a day. It's nasty. Weakness, but it kills germs. L'Oreal, it's expensive makeup. Okay, so their slogan is because I'm worth it. Uh, Smuckers, with a name like that, it's got to be good. Heinz Ketchup, they get complaints about it's too thick, it takes forever. No, that's quality, that's anticipation. What do you want, a runny ketchup? Mm -hmm. And my favorite was the Volkswagen Bug during the 60s when it just came out. They said, you know, this car is so slow, you'll never get a speeding ticket. (laughs) Okay, And people appreciate that. And the big picture is, is if they're looking for something that's wrong, give them something that's wrong, turn it into a strength, and they will trust you more. Yeah, they have to scratch that itch of finding something that's wrong. So you might as well be the one to give it to them, right? Exactly. And it could be something as simple as, let's say you're in a 10-person company going against a 1,000-person corporation. You're both going for this contract. And you want to hide the fact that you're small, hide the fact that you're small, hide the fact that you're small. No, reveal it. They're going to find out anyway. So you know what? There's only 10 people in our company. And we're going. I know you're talking to XYZ Corporation, but you know what? There is only 10 of us. We are a small company. But you know what that means? So I've revealed a weakness. And I, now I say what that means is, you won't fall through the cracks. You won't have to go to Harvard to department. You'll have my cell phone 24 hours a day. I'm going to give you 100% of my time. You get the picture where we're turning that weakness that they're going to find out anyway, and we're turning it into a strength. And that's also a form that we talked about a little bit as inoculation. Right, right. In this time period that we're living in, more people are working from home. More people own their own business or more per, more people are working virtually for very small businesses. And almost everything's out on the internet anyway. So like you're saying, let's just disclose it up front. Let's turn this into a strength right out of the chute. And I think that's going to develop a more personal and a deeper relationship with the prospect too, because they feel like that transparency is there, and they just trust you more. And if you know you have a few bad remarks about your company on the internet, they're going to find out, reveal it. So, you know, hey, yeah, my competitor's been on there and they've done this and this. Or you might say, yeah, there was this that happened. They're going to see it. Let them know ahead of time. Prepare them for that, and it increases your credibility. Oh, yeah. Yeah, if you tell it to them, it is so much better than them finding it on their own. I hear this in my business all the time when real estate investors are analyzing a deal and they get some incorrect information. They all immediately call me and say, 
Well, if that's wrong, what else is wrong? They found it out on their own. Now they're on a fishing expedition to find what other dirt they can find or what other weaknesses that they can find on you. So plan for this, everybody. It's going to happen. Don't flatter yourself and think that you've got the perfect service or you're the perfect salesperson. You've got to throw something out to the wolves, for lack of a better term here. And that might be a topic for another podcast, but bottom line is your prospect is looking for everything that's wrong, every reason they shouldn't do it, until you give them one reason they should do it. But once you give them the one reason they should do it, now they're looking for every reason why it's a good deal. Just like when you go to a hotel, the first two or three things go wrong, everything's wrong. That whole stay was terrible. But if the first two or three things go right, you're looking for things that are going right, and it's a whole different mindset. Oh, yeah. That's kind of funny because when I was in San Francisco last week, as we, we mentioned, it was pretty cold in most of the western U.S. last week. So I took a coat with me out there, and I met my client in the lobby of the hotel where I was staying, and we chatted for a few hours kind of planning a few things out about what we were going to go do and what we were going to be covering. And we go out to get in the car, and this is my first morning at the hotel, right? I got in really late at night, hadn't had really a lot of time to form my perception of how much I liked this hotel. So we go out to the car, and when I went outside, I felt that chill in the air. And I thought, oh, I need to get my coat. And I asked my client, I'm like, hey, what do you think? Should I get my coat? And just kind of bouncing it off him. And he goes, no, no, kind of jokes with me, only if you're a sissy. And so I thought, well, I'm not a sissy. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to go without my coat. And I was thinking at the time that it was in my room. And I came back later that night, and I had a dinner appointment with another client. And it was really cold, and I wanted my coat. Couldn't find it anywhere. I didn't know where it was. And I was getting really ticked off. I, I didn't remember taking it anywhere else. I was sure it was in my room and that the maid took it or some kind of shenanigans were going on. And so what did it do? It painted my perception of the hotel. And everything from there on out was wrong. I was mad about everything because, you know what, that maid took my coat. But I, I found out later that I had left it on the back of the chair downstairs. <laughs> But the the important point here is that it didn't matter if it was true. It didn't. It, it was didn't. your perception. Yeah. And someone was going to pay because they're evil, right? It just kind of goes down that road. And that's an important point in persuasion. We're just talking about reality here. It doesn't matter about what the r truth really is a lot of times. Oh, yeah. Yeah, as far as I was concerned, everyone in that hotel was a klepto, and I couldn't trust any of them. I was just not happy about it. But turns out I was the idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Well, good. We've got one more C of trust, and this one's a little harder to wrap your arms around. What's the, the fifth C of trust? Well, the fifth C is congruence. And on one hand, it's kind of complicated. On the other hand, it's kind of simple. It's basically, bottom line, are you consistent or do your words match your actions? We know that people will always believe your body language, your micro expressions, what they see, what they hear versus the actual words. So bottom line here is do your words match your actions? And you're like, well, of course they do. When you get nervous many times or you, the way you treat people, you have these little things you're doing that might have your prospect thinking deception, they're lying, I shouldn't believe them even though you're telling the truth. You need to be congruent in your words and in your actions. Yeah, that's, that's very key because for whatever reason, don't we have kind of a sixth sense that, that can just feel when hey, this isn't happening? There's something off here. I think that's kind of that little congruence meter that we all have. It is. It's that subconscious trigger. We're feeling something not quite right. We can't say, you know, that one gesture and that one expression, that makes me a little nervous. It's not that. They're not 
cognitively thinking about that. It's just a feeling, whoa, something's up, something's wrong, that they kind of go off and retreat a little bit. They might not say, you know, I think you're lying. I don't trust you. I don't like you. It's just like, oh, I'll come back later, talk to my spouse. Too expensive. I'll come back later. I'll go more information. I'll go to your website, which we know about 67% of the time that's a lie, but something happened during that persuasion encounter. Yeah, yeah. You were talking about that, I think, last episode or a couple episodes ago, the Trust Your Gut study where people saw those quick images flashed across the screen of their future spouse. Mm-hmm. And their subconscious mind was speaking to them that, hey, there's something not congruent here. There's something, something is not right in this instance. So do you practice what you preach and can your prospect perceive that that's really the case? That's the essence of congruence. And I think if you really make it a habit to build on those other four C's of trust, the character, competence, confidence, and credibility, when all four of those are working correctly together, that tends to take care of itself on the congruence front from what I've found. Yep. And when you bring them all together, that's exactly true. The more you add, but if you have the first couple, the more you start adding, then congruence becomes more natural. It's not something you should be thinking about. Oh, am I standing the right way? Am I saying too many vocal fillers? Am I blinking too much? Am I standing too close? You're really not processing that. You become more natural and more congruent. Let's bring it all together as we look at these five C's so people really understand this. I think a great example is we'll use a dentist. And apologize to any dentists out there that are listening. I know influence is important to you, but we all want a dentist we could trust. And naturally, a lot of times we look for things in a dentist that we don't trust. So I'm going to go down the C's and kind of use an example of a dentist because that's an important person that you want to trust. So let's say you've moved a thousand miles from home and your tooth hurts and you want a dentist you can trust or so you go to your neighbor and say, hey, do you have a dentist? My tooth hurts. Say, you know, I know a great dentist, great character, good person, belongs to my church group. But they're not very competent, though. In fact, last time I was there, they stuck a needle completely through my cheek. Wow. <laughs> so you're like, no. So you go to another neighbor, and you're like, hey, can you recommend a dentist? Like, oh, know a great dentist, graduated top of the class, best in the state. But you'll have to wait a few weeks because they're in jail for insurance fraud. They don't have much character. (laughs) You see, you only need one filling. They'll put in two in the billion for three, but they're the best fillings in the state. (laughs) Hey, there there you go. (laughs) So you're like, wait a minute. So you're not sure what to do. And and you go around, you find another dentist. And imagine if you're laying in that dental chair and you've got your bib on and the dentist comes in and puts a little x-rays in the light. Like you have any idea, but they do it anyway. What if the dentist did something like this? I don't know. You know, you see that gray area right there? I think you need a root canal. Hey, hey, Steve, what do you think? You think you need a root canal there? (laughs) (laughs) I predict you would run, leave the vicinity with your paper bib, and never come back. Yep, that sounds about right. Like my wife's doctor the other day. (laughs) That's right. Then there's credibility. You're driving around town. You see a sign that says family dentist. You're like, oh, that's nice. You go in, and it. You see a dental degree from a country you never heard of. You're like, well. You see a sign on the wall that says cash only, no insurance, no credit cards, no checks. The receptionist is well tattooed, lots of body rings. Yeah, yeah. And the dentist comes out to cap it all off in a black leather jacket with an actual tool belt with an actual drill and a real hammer. Now, I don't know what point you've lost trust, but... That would be credibility. This sounds like a tattoo parlor, not a dental office. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. 
And the most interesting one was congruence they actually did with dentists. So they put this ad in the newspaper. It says, hey, we'll pay you to endure a painful dental procedure. And I think the most shocking thing about the study is people showed up. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'd Ooh. never show up. Hey, yeah, pay me, pay me, drill me. Yeah, right. Okay. So they pulled all the dentists in the room. It was at a dental school. It says, okay, here's the procedure. We're testing this new painkiller. It's a placebo this time. Do everything you normally do, and we'll see how many people feel pain. Probably, I guess, and how loud they scream. I'm not sure how they gauge the pain. <laughs> so the dentist did everything they normally did, and they injected this painkiller, and these patients felt a lot of pain, a lot of screaming going on, and they weren't sure what to do. So they brought the dentist back in the room again and said, okay, this time we're going to put the actual painkiller in, do everything that you normally do, but it's a painkiller. Now, what the dentist did not know is it was the placebo again. <laughs> so the dentist came in and in their mind did everything that they normally do, administered this placebo, which is a painkiller that they did not know about, and the patients felt a lot less pain because we pick up on those micro expressions. Even though the dentist thought they were doing everything that they were normally did, we pick up on things. We have that instinct, that intuition, that sixth sense that you mentioned, and it goes a long way. And an interesting side note in Korea, during the war, when they ran out of morphine, they would give a placebo. And here's what's interesting. When the nurse gave this placebo, it worked. When the doctor gave it, it didn't work. Any idea why? When the nurse gave it, the placebo worked, and when the doctor gave it, it didn't? Uh-huh. You got me. I have no idea why that would be the case. I would think it would be the opposite. But here's what it came down to. The nurse didn't know it was a placebo. Oh. The doctor did. Wow. So there's power in congruence and power in choosing a dentist. So next time you need a dentist, go through the five C's of trust and you'll find a dentist you can trust. <laughs> Think of all the subconscious triggers that are at play there for something to, to work like that. That's amazing. It is, right? Well, I don't know. But even when you look at the science of placebo, and that's a whole other podcast, Placebos work 20 to 50% of the time. I mean, that's how powerful our mind is, is that a lot of times the placebo will work better than the actual medicine. Yeah. Wow. Well, there you have it, everybody. The five C's of trust. That's, that's some pretty good stuff. Feel free to refer back to this as you need to, because there's no better way to get results in sales quickly than to have your clients uh, trust you. That's totally key. I was talking to my insurance agent a little while back with all this insurance craziness that's been happening in the United States, I, I asked him what that was going to mean for me because I had another one pressuring me to switch plans. I think he have, may have made the blunder list, but the one that I had had forever basically was, was honest with me. And he said, no, I could, I could sell you a different plan. I could make a good commission right now, but honestly, you're, you're not going to be any better off. You're just going to be paying more money. So let's talk in a year or two when when things are different, we can kind of see where you're at then. You think I'll stick with this guy for life? Yeah, a little honesty up front, a little more trust. Oh, yeah. He has your business for life. Yeah, yeah. He was willing to sacrifice a bigger commission. I was right, but I would have paid it. But he sacrificed it now for the long time or the long term good and knew he would get a lot more business out of me over my life this way. So good stuff on trust, Kurt. You ready for Homer? Don't, don't, don't. Oh, there it is. Love the Homer. Love the Homer. So <laughs> this is a good one. This actually happened a while ago, but I was reminded of it the other day when I was at the grocery store. This is a good example of verbal packaging, which we need to do a podcast on verbal packaging. We got to roll that out soon because that's 
really good, powerful stuff that people can use right away today and make a big difference in, in how they persuade others. But basically what happened is I was at the grocery store. I had running some kind of random errand. I don't remember what it was for. And I passed the donut section. And this is a weakness for me. I think that's that... because of Homer, the donut section. Is, he... <laughs> yeah. is that one of his weaknesses too? Oh, yeah. Homer loves donuts. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't love donuts? To, true. to the guy who invented donuts, bravo to you, sir. We Fantastic. almost made it through a whole podcast without talking about food. <laughs> we almost did, but what would it be? I mean, I thought I'd ruin it towards the tail end here. <laughs> They're just so good. So <laughs> I passed these donuts, and I remember that a couple of years back, I lived in Indianapolis, Indiana. And there was a grocery store by our house there. And I don't know if this was culturally acceptable, and nobody really thought of it, but I think most of the people that are about to hear what they called donuts at this grocery store are going to go, ew, and it's going to conjure up all kinds of images. And you're going to go, why would I want that? If there's anything that could make a donut not good, it's calling it this. Are you ready to hear what they called donuts there at this store? Grease balls? <laughs> <laughs> That's technically true. No, but they called them yeast rings. <laughs> yeah, yeast. Y-E-A-S-T, rings. Would you like a ring of yeast tonight? I don't think so. Yeah. The only way you get away with that if they've been doing it for the last 50 years and people are kind of past the point of really thinking it through. <laughs> I guess so, but they're losing the out-of-towners. I mean, it takes a lot to have me not get a donut, and that, that did it a lot of the time. So there's your persuasion blunder of the week, very poor verbal packaging. Yeah, that won't work, especially if you bring it to the West Coast when you put it up there in lights. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> two-for-one yeast rings. That's not going to work. Ugh, gross. Yeah, yeah. Everybody sleep well thinking about that tonight. That's <laughs> not good. Well, great podcast, Kurt. Thanks for sitting down for a little bit and talking over the five C's of trust with us, the yeast rings, the horrible dentist, all that fun stuff that we talked about today. Any Anything else before we hang them up? Here it is, the thought of the day. Trust is good. <laughs> Glad you hung around for the whole episode, everybody. <laughs> well, bottom line, if doesn't matter what you're offering, if they don't trust you, doesn't matter what else you have, you are going to lose the influence battle. That is correct. That is correct. Well, thanks again, Kurt. Everybody, thanks for listening. There's more at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. Subscribe to the podcast. It'll automatically load to your your smartphone or your iTunes account or whatever it may be. We look forward to having you on a future podcast again, and we will talk to you next week. See you next week. Mm -hmm.